this morning we're down a little bit in numbers because honestly we've had some illness kind of ravaged through our congregation so we're glad that you are here we're going to have fun we're going to really have a fun morning we had fun in sunday school we're going to have fun today uh, as we worship god through the reading and study of his word i just really want to thank chase and, and zane for leading us in worship you know this is honestly the first time that they have led it um this way acapella and uh i don't know about you guys but if you've ever tried to do that that is one of the hardest things to do not only just um not only just leading worship itself but to lead it with just your voices i mean goodness gracious that was great and thank you for filling in with the instruments of your voices as well that was great I want to start out this morning, I want, to, I want to ask you a couple of questions, which I normally do when I preach. Um, have you ever experienced what has been called the greater love? The kind of love that God demonstrates to us. Noted author Jen Wilkin, in her book, In His Image, tells the story of an older couple named Jack and Lucille Cannon of Dallas, Texas. In 2016, and honestly, I don't know if Jack and Lucille are still with us, but in 2016, they celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Last week, Sherry and I celebrated our 34th, which is not even half, and that feels like, probably to Sherry, an incredibly long time to be married to me, which honestly, it is. But imagine her being married to me for 75 years, my goodness. We should pray for her. I'm telling you, she's really going to need that kind of endurance. But, uh, but they were interviewed by a TV reporter about the secret to their long marriage, and this is what they said. Lucille talked about having a, a deep friendship, and she said that you have to give a little. The Jack then interrupts Lucille, and he says, no, you have to give a lot. And so I thought that was kind of funny coming from the guy. But honestly... The woman probably ends up, the wife ends up having to give a little more than the man does. Let's just be honest. But as we know, to have a long-lasting relationship, it takes commitment. It takes perseverance. It does take compromise. It can take getting emotionally gut-punched at times. But it takes a will to make it work on both parties. Jen Wilkin says it takes an agape type of love and if you've been around the Christian faith at all you know that we talk about agape love the love that God has for us agape love the love that we're going to talk about this morning the kind of love that Jesus tells his disciples that they need to have for one another that if they're going to survive together what lies ahead for them a love given that does not need to be returned a love given freely to those who have put their lives in Jesus' hands. A surrender to his will over ours. Our passage this morning is John 15, 12 through 17. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, please turn there with me. John 15, starting in verse 12 through 17. This passage is a continuation of the discourse Jesus is having with, with his disciples to prepare them for his death on the cross, to ready them for what will happen after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, and he is no longer physically with them on earth. 
As we have seen previously, he is not leaving them alone, but he is sending the Holy Spirit to be with them. But they will need to be ready for their next mission. And we're going to see three main points out of our message this morning in our passage. The first one is love. What is that and what does it mean? Two, friendship. How do we become a friend of God? What does that look like? And three, mission. What are we called to do? How does this mission work? We will see how each one of these builds on the other and how we are how they are all needed so that we can accomplish these things for the glory of God. So let's read our passage together. John 15, 12 through 17. Reading from the ESV. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus is speaking here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the idea of love that you gave to us and showed us and demonstrated to us. Lord, I pray that this morning as we look into your word and, and we see these great words of Jesus and we study them and apply them into our own lives, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear what it is that you have to say. Not only say, Lord, but put into practice in our own lives, and that we would do this all to your glory. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that I would just be your vessel, and it would be your voice that is heard. And we praise you and thank you and ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. So this brings us to our first point of love. To love one another as I have loved you, as Jesus said. And we're going to look at the first two verses in our passage, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 15. And they say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Remember a couple weeks ago, Don spoke about the passage right before this, when Jesus told his disciples that he is the true vine, and if they wanted to bear fruit and they wanted to live, they needed to stay connected to him, the vine, the life giver, to stay grafted and united to him. We also talked about last week in our message from Romans that Paul told us that we are united with Christ, that we are grafted together with Jesus, not only in his crucifixion, but also in his resurrection. And so now Jesus is continuing to tell his disciples what they need to do to continue the mission that he has for them. Now, we have to keep in mind in context, last week we talked post-crucifixion and resurrection. We're going to move back in time to get in sequence with where we are in John. So Jesus is just hours away from his crucifixion. And there is an urgency to his message. 
Think of it like a mom or a dad preparing their kids to leave home. You want them to be ready so when they walk out the door and they go out on their own, that they can handle it, that they're ready. So Jesus starts out with this command. And this command is to love one another as he has loved them. Now it's interesting to think here that Jesus refers to his love for them in the past tense. That his love was in the past. Now this is a clue that something might be changing in the future. It's not that he's going to stop loving them, but Jesus is aware that his sentence on the cross is coming soon. And using his love for his disciples as an example for how the disciples are to love each other, it opens up the next several verses as he explains what that means and what it looks like. So how has Jesus loved them? How does that translate for us? How do we love in the same way that he loved us? In verse 13, it begins to answer that question for us. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus defines this love as a self-sacrificial love, a love that is willing to lay down our lives for each other, to do the things that are inconvenient for us to show our love for others. This verse has a lot of meaning, and so let's break it down and see what it has to say. And the first thing that I see in this is that Jesus pronounces that there is a greater love. What does he mean by greater love? Well, the Greek word here for greater is the word magas. And it is the word that mega we get from it. Like megaton or megawatt. So it's kind of a powerful word. In this case, Jesus is using this word in terms of the intensity of the love that he's talking about. Of a, it's the kind of love that has the intensity of a, like a, a one million megawatt light bulb. Only even brighter than that. Even stronger and more intense than that. It's a white hot and it is never ending love. It is burning hot fire. Intense love that he has for his people. And when you think about that, when he's pointing to the future, to his crucifixion, we realize that it would take that kind of an intensity, that kind of a fiery love that would send someone to the cross to take the sins of the people with him, considering that he never sinned in his own life. That's the kind of love that he has. Now, I'm a dad, and so this is kind of like the love that we would have for children, only not quite as intense. Our love as as parents, is not as intense as Jesus' love for us. But as a dad, I can assure you that the love that I have for my kids is intense enough that I am willing to put myself down. I'm willing to put myself in danger for my kids to save them. But even as strong as that love is, like I said, it is not strong enough for me to take their sins and pay for them. Only Jesus could do that. So Paul writes about this and about this type of Jesus' love in Romans 5, 7 through 8. And he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were haters of God, Jesus died for us. That's the intensity of the love that he is sharing with his disciples that they need to have for each other. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, Paul defines love as this way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Last week during Holy Week, we talked a lot about Jesus and his crucifixion and the importance that that is to us and to all of history. Jesus in love did not insist on his will, but he followed his Father's will when he went to the cross for us. It was not a boastful sacrifice. It was humiliating. And yet it wasn't resentful. And he bore all of our sins willingly. He endured the humiliation and pain of the most excruciating death for us. His love never ends. It is what gives us a chance to reconcile with God over our sins and receive forgiveness from him. It moves us from death to life by surrendering ourselves to Jesus and his love for us. We talked about the resurrection and when Jesus walked out of the tomb that Sunday morning, death was defeated for good. It brings all hope and a promise of eternal life with Jesus in heaven. By trusting in the truth, it provides us in the love it shows us. I wonder, as you might, what were the disciples thinking at this time? And if we put ourselves in their shoes, we can understand how they must have been feeling. This is not the first time Jesus had given this command to love one another. In John 13, 34, before they had even entered into Jerusalem, before they'd even come to Holy Week, Jesus commanded them this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So how do we love like this? How do we follow Jesus' command to love one another? Simply by making ourselves available to the call of the Lord and to commit to obey his call and his will for our lives. Sometimes this means that we have to do the difficult thing. We have to do the one thing we don't want to do. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it means that we must confront a friend who's involved in something that they shouldn't be. We need to love them so much that we're willing to put our friendship on the line, even if it causes to the end of our friendship, to see that person healed and brought out of their sin. They may be in a place where they're not only hurting themselves, but they may be hurting other people. And we're called not to watch someone just crash and burn, but to intervene. We must be willing to have our schedules and our routines disturbed by the call to help a friend who might be looking for a place to crash. We must be willing to look in the mirror and see in ourselves a sin that we need to conquer, and we are failing. 
And we might need a brother or sister's help to pull us out of it. We need that kind of love and trust in our friends in order to be able to call them and ask for that kind of help. We must be willing to have our phones go off at all hours of the day and night for a call to pray for someone who might be struggling through a point in their addiction where they need help. Or maybe they got sick or they got a phone call from someone that something tragic had happened. We must be willing to be about others and not ourselves. To love them without expecting something in return. To love freely like Jesus does. We must be like Jesus who never turned away a crowd or sent someone away who really needed his help. Self-sacrificial love for a brother or sister in Christ never fails and it never ends. It's what makes us different from the world. We are called to even love our enemies and lift them up to the Lord. So I ask you, how are you doing with this kind of love? Are you showing this? Is this a part of your life? Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's exceedingly difficult. Love like Christ's love isn't easy. But the good news is that even as difficult as it might seem, we will never, ever have to go to the cross and die for our sins or other people's sins because Jesus did that for us once and for all. And there is a payoff. There is a reward for following his command. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus tells his disciples what that great reward is. Reading verses 14 and 15 together, it says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. The reward is found in verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, I want you to understand this does not mean that our friendship comes out of our obedience. It means that because of what he did for us, the love that he has for us, our obedience is our response to him. It is what his friends return to Jesus in kind, their obedience. In order to fully understand what Jesus means, let's look at this verse a little bit more in depth. When he says we become his friends, it's, I want you to understand this is not like a buddy-buddy friendship. Jesus is still our Lord, and that relationship will never change. When we come before him, I promise you, our faces will still fall down on the floor before him when we see our Lord in person, just as John did when he received the vision that later became the book of Revelation. Jesus is our Lord. He is not our buddy. But we become his friends by our obedience. And a friend in this case is based on this incredible love that we just talked about. Because what else could it be? And a friend of Jesus is one who obeys in response. Henry Blackaby says this, If you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It, is always, it will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. 
Obedience is our response back to our Lord for the love He has freely given us. What He commands us to do, we need to do without question. But with that comes even more grace from Jesus. But Jesus tells us that when we do that, when we obey Him, we are allowed to come in and have the Word of God opened up to us. We get to see God's plan opened up to us that He has for the world. The power of the Holy Spirit opens the Word of God so that we can see and understand what is happening in God's grand plan. From creation to the fall, to His plan of redemption in Jesus, to His mission to reach all His people, Jew and Gentile, and to bring us all home to be with Him for all of eternity. Who would not want to have that privilege to have the Word of God open to them? And he explains this even further in verse 15. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for that all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We are no longer slaves, because that's what this word really means. It's the Greek word doulos. It is, in this case, a slave is someone who listens to his master and must obey no questions asked, no explanation given. Just do what I say and do not question me or else. So when we move from slave to friend, we go from someone who is just a servant or a slave to someone who has become a close friend of Jesus. It is this close bond that causes the desire in us to obey Him because of all He did for us. It is not our works that save us. We know that. But our obedience and our works are the fruit of our salvation in Jesus. Again, last week we talked about how becoming united or grafted together with Jesus through his death and resurrection. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples here. We were allowed, now get this, we're allowed into the inner circle of the Trinity, into the Holy of Holies, to hear all the Father said to his Son, Jesus. Everything written and God's word from Genesis to Revelation is opened up to us. And we get it when we are his friends. When we are obedient to him. What do we do with this? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, quite simply, it means that we must obey. We must love each other as Jesus said. Just as he has loved us. We must be the witness of what this love of Jesus is to the world, where, quite frankly, right now, we don't see a lot of love. There is nothing but, how do I get mine? How do I get my way? I am who I say I am, and you have no right to tell me anything different. I don't care about heaven. I only care about what I get right now. And even as, as trying and unpopular as this message might be, this message of hope, Jesus, Jesus has given that command that we must love one another, which leads us to love others. Obedience is the outward sign 
of our friendship with Jesus, our bond, our grafting to the one true vine. Our love for him because of what he did for us first is what causes us to have the desire to obey him. And not just the desire, but to truly do as Jesus has called us to do. Now we have heard in verses 12 and 13 that we're commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. And then we heard Jesus tell his disciples that the relationship is moving from one phase into a new phase. They're moving from servant to friend. And because of this new phase, they will be obedient to his calling and his commands. The call to love one another freely without expectation that this love will ever be returned back to them. Like Jesus continues to love us. It seems like that we have a lot to puff ourselves up about, doesn't it? That we are God's friend. Isn't it great that we chose Jesus to be our Lord and Savior? Isn't it great that we found him? Well, if that's what you think, I've got some bad news, which really turns out to be really good news. If you think about it, if you think you found Jesus and you chose him, let's read verse 16 together. Verse 16 says this, you did not choose me. Oh my gosh. Right there, we're blown out of the water. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. McFly, you didn't choose God. God chose you. That is awesome. The disciples didn't choose to follow Jesus. Jesus called them out from amongst all the people to follow him because he had a great plan for their lives in the grand plan of God. And he gave them a mission, a mission that would demonstrate to the world the power of God's love, his never-ending love that is given freely, even if that love is not returned in kind. Phillips Brooks, a pastor from the 1800s, who wrote the little town of Bethlehem, a song that many of us have heard around Christmas time, said this, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people, or those poor people who need our help, nor, will, will, nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. And that is the truth. So let's talk about this for just a second. Let's, let's talk about this verse. Because I know some Christians get scared about election. They get scared about thinking that, they've, that God chose us and that our free will is not really totally free. But we are bound in his sovereign plan for his kingdom to do his will by his means in his appointed time as he chooses us. And honestly, to me, and I hope to you, you see the idea that the holy, sinless God of the universe, our creator, God and Lord, created you and me and everyone else with a purpose. He chose you. Yes, you. 
and even me. God help us all. <laughs> we carry no pride in where we are. It is not our design or our choosing. With God, we would not even be here. Without God, we would not even be here. Not just in church, but even on this earth. It was God who chose to create the universe. It was God who chose to create us in his image. And it was God who chose to send his son to the cross to save us because we couldn't obey his simple message. And we broke our relationship with him. We should feel nothing but gratitude and humility before him and hope. And he gave us a purpose. He gave us a purpose. We are participants. We are tasked with the job to bring about his will and see others come into the kingdom. To bear fruit. And not just fruit that rots in a day or two, but fruit that abides. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that bears its own fruit. Surrounded and filled by God's great sacrificial love. We are in an incredible time in our country and our world. In the U.S., we've seen how back even 40 or 50 years ago, you know, statistics show that 70% of people were members of churches. And now, recently, they've done a survey, and less than 40% of people associate themselves with the church. The, the message of God that he chose us and gave us a purpose, that he is the one who made us in his image, in his love, has become the enemy. It is the thing that they point to that causes confusion and pain. But when I look around and I see the suicide rates among our kids soaring, and kids today can't even determine whether or not they are male or female, that they are a they instead of a him or a her, it breaks my heart. Because the message of hope is right here, what we just talked about. Isn't it better to know that the God of the universe created you out of his own love because he wanted to, because he wanted you, and he gave you a purpose to participate with him in his grand plan? And he has asked us to just Hold on to the vine. Hold on to the vine of life, the true vine of Christ, who gave his life for us to save us because we could not save ourselves. It is not a part of his original plan for there to be any question over this basic design of what he has done. Society has removed God so far from the everyday conversation that we are flushing down a perpetual toilet bowl of hopelessness. It is so unnecessary. Let us be the light of the world and the carriers of the light into the world and bring this message of hope that no matter how unpopular it might be right now, it might be the light to some because God has chosen his people and those chosen by him will listen. 
And if you're here this morning and you don't like election because you're not sure if you're one of the chosen, if you're one of the elect of God, well, let me just say that we can fix that this morning if you would just surrender yourself to him and give your life to him and live for him, and then you will be one of his chosen. Let him be Lord instead of trying to be Lord of your own life in which you will fail miserably. Jesus guarantees our success by reiterating what he told us in John 14, 13, that whatever we ask of him that is kingdom-minded, and not for our own glory, but for his glory alone, in this case, his Father will grant to us, that he will direct us to where the fruit is that he has given us. It is a guaranteed fact. Like the disciples, we have been chosen and appointed by Jesus for this task of participating in the expansion and growth of the kingdom of God. And that really excites me. I hope it excites you. Let's make Jesus non-ignorable in La Junta and all over the world. Let's take this message of hope out and share the light of the world that God has called us and appointed us to do. This morning, we've covered a lot of territory. We've heard Jesus give us a command to love one another. We saw where Jesus pointed to his upcoming crucifixion as an example of this type of love. And then we heard Jesus tell us that we are moving from slaves to friends when we obey his commands. In this case, the command to love one another. That our obedience is our response to what he has done for us. And then the whole kingdom of God is open to us to learn and understand what love the Father has for us. Then we learn how great this love is, that he chose us and appointed us to participate in building fruit that abides in Jesus and lives eternally with him. Can we be tasked with a better job to love as Jesus loves? And finally, Jesus reiterates in verse 17 that we are to love one another. Now, this is the third time that we've heard this today. The third time. He tells us this. He says that these things in this passage that we have just talked about, he tells us this so that we will love one another. Don't miss the so that. Because the so that is the purpose of why he is telling us. We are to love one another as Jesus loves us and be the light to the world. I want to ask us this morning to look at ourselves and consider whether or not we are fulfilling the command of Christ to love one another in the same sacrificial way he does. If the Lord were to ask us to show him our fruit, what would we have to show him? If we have any at all, is it all shriveled up because it fell from the vine and rotted away? Or have we produced any fruit that has lasted the good times and the bad times? Fruit that stayed grafted to the vine of Christ and lived. If we produce the fruit based on our understanding that it is on us to grow it, then most likely it didn't last very long. Because fruit that lasts must be grown in the soil of the Father, watered by the Son, 
and fed by the Holy Spirit. That is the only recipe that has been proven to work. My fellow friends of Jesus, love one another as Jesus has loved you. And go under the authority and divine appointment of our Lord to bear fruit in his glorious name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful, Lord, to be able to be here this morning and learn about your great love for us. The greater love, the love that burns with such intensity, Lord, that you went to the cross for us and died for us and took our sins, Lord, so that we could have forgiveness. Because we could not save ourselves, you saved us, Lord. I pray, God, that we learn to love each other with that same sort of self-sacrificial love that just gives and gives and doesn't expect anything in return. Lord, I pray that we take this, Lord, and we obey it and become your friends. And that you would open up the world to us, Lord, that whatever that the Father has said to you, that you will tell us what it is. And we will understand it, Lord. And we will take this, as you have appointed us, Lord, into the world to share it with others. To bear fruit that lasts eternally, Lord. I pray, God, that if anyone here this morning does not know you, but wants to, Lord. They want to bear fruit. They want to feel, excuse me, feel this type of love in their life that maybe they have never felt. I pray, God, that today would be the day that they would give their life to you. I praise you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen.